There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. Portrait of a man who thinks and thereby gets things done. Mr. Jimbo Cobb might be called a prime mover, a talent which has to be seen to be believed. In just a moment, he'll show his friends and you how he keeps both feet on the ground and his head in the twilight zone. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo, and joined again by my co-host... 80s ESP. Here with all of his telekinetic powers to help you dive down into the fifth dimension. <laughs> oh no, he's he's going to be in rare form today, ladies and gentlemen. I can already tell uh, the way he's talking and the day I've had. This could be a really crazy episode. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> crazy bad, man. So, so today we are talking about the Prime Mover, which is uh, episode 21 of season two of the twilight zone um where we just talked earlier it's coming to a close of season two uh just a handful of episodes left probably so eric what's your thoughts on season two so far before we dive into this episode do you like it better than season one um i i think so i mean i don't know they're they're it's kind of like saying which one of your kids do you like better i mean i like season one for uh, totally different reasons probably than I like season two, but um, I don't know. We, we kind of went through a thin stretch here in season two, but we're about to hit a really good pace towards the end. There are some really good episodes, bang, 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 one after another, in my opinion, but uh, we'll get there eventually. Yeah, because this is not one of them. Right. Let me just yeah. say that off the record. So okay. um, I'm sure we'll have a different opinion on this one like we do almost every episode we do. So, Eric, let's go ahead and take away the Prime Mover. All right, the Prime Mover. This is the Twilight Zone season number two, episode number 21. And it was directed by Richard L. Bear. And the writing credits go to Charles Beaumont for this particular episode. And But, however, I think Jimbo's got some information. I'll throw it to him. There is The story is originally uncredited it was originally written by george clayton johnson but he is uncredited and i think jimbo's got some info regarding that situation right but before we do that let me ask you a question uh, eric how many how many twilight zone uh stories did um charles beaumont actually write do you know uh, i don't know that off the top of my head no because his name keeps coming up a lot right season one and season two so yeah maybe that's something we can dive in and find out you know i do so, i'm sorry i do know that i don't think he wrote. He might have written an episode in season number three, but I think he his writing credits are primarily in the first two seasons, and then they just stop. I don't think he really contributed much towards the end of the last three seasons or whatever. Well, we need to do some research on him. That'd probably be a good little mini episode. So this is, of course, from my trusty companion book, The Twilight Zone Companion, third edition, which is expanded and revised by Mark Scott Zikri. Um I think everybody should purchase this book. It's got a lot of interesting information in it about The Twilight Zone, especially if you're a fan. 
So based on the credits, one would assume that the prime mover was an original piece written entirely by Charles Beaumont. Actually, this engaging script was based on an unpublished story by George Clayton Johnson. Explains Johnson, quote, Charles Beaumont could get an assignment. He needed a story and he didn't have a, a story. Uh, so none of his stories seemed suitable. He therefore bought um, from me my story. He paid me $600 for it. My name never ended up on the screen. It was an accident of production for which Buck Houghton apologized. I felt bad that my name wasn't on it, but I thought it was a good show. In adapting the story, Beaumont retained Johnson's basic plot, but added a love interest in a Chicago gangster named Phil Nolan, a Beaumont in-joke on his friend William F. Nolan. In the original, the pair simply make their winnings at various local uh, floating crap games, but Beaumont rightfully conceived that place, the action in Las Vegas, would add a greater dramatic tension. As for the two central characters, they remain the same, a Mutt and Jeff pair, Dane Clark, nervous and quick-tempered, and also Buddy Epson, slow and infinitely calm. So there you have my little section from my trusty companion. Yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting, too. Um, I got some trivia. We'll get to it later. Uh, Beaumont was actually paid rather handsomely, too, for the, the actual story, so... It was quite a steal to to buy that story off of uh, George Clayton Johnson for only six hundred bucks, considering what he actually made for the episode. But back to more of our basic info here on this particular episode. Um, the original air date for this episode was March the twenty fourth, nineteen sixty one, and you know what time it is now. It's time for our favorite segment in the episode: the thing we like to call. On this day in history. Okay, so on this day in TV and film history for March 24th, and man, it's a pretty good one. All right, in 1935, this should harken our minds back to the last episode that we did. 1935, Major Bose, an original amateur hour, goes national on NBC Radio Network. So Major Bose, that was referenced Hmm. in the episode Static that we did last time. Um, 1939 for March 24th, Weathering Heights a film based on Emily Bronte novel directed by William Wyler and starring Merle Oberon and Laurence Olivier premieres in Los Angeles. And here's one just for Jimbo, 1991, WrestleMania 7 in L.A. Memorial Sports Arena featured Hulk Hogan and he beat Sergeant Slaughter for the WWF heavyweight title. So that's on the TV That's side. right. Yeah. Hulkamania running wild, baby. <laughs> I knew you'd like that one. In 1999, The Matrix, a film um, directed by the, I can't even pronounce that name, Wacassies. I'm going to butcher that. It starred Keanu Reeves and Lawrence Fishburne and Carrie Ann Moss. It premiered in 1999. And then finally, one of my favorites, and I, I think Jimbo's favorites too, in 2005 on March 24th, the U.S. version of The Office, created by Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, developed by Greg Daniels, starring Steve Carell and John Krasinski, premieres on NBC. That's 2005. So that concludes this day in history. Our total production cost for our Twilight Zone episode comes in at $51,327.47. And so it's an average episode average uh, filmography this isn't a uh, recorded uh, fi- or uh, videotape excuse me videotaped episode this is a regular episode 
So when we adjust that for inflation, we're looking at $516,433.31. So again, it comes in around a five, uh, half a million dollars to produce this episode. Still would be a steal in today's dollars. You couldn't probably produce 10 minutes of a, a any kind of television show for half a million bucks. Um, I have a few dates. Dates for rehearsal were September the 12th and September the 13th of 1960. The dates for filming for this episode were September 14, 15, and 16, 1960. And with those basic information, uh, basic facts, I'm going to throw it to Jimbo for the cast of this episode. All right, we have a slightly larger cast than normal. Um, two main characters, pretty much, uh, and their shenanigans. So we have uh, Dane Clark, who played Ace Larson. You know, you thought with a name like Ace, they wouldn't be at the crap table, they'd be at the card table, but that's just me. Uh, he was in a movie called Moonrise in 1948. You have the legendary Buddy Epson playing Jimbo Cobb. No relation to me, but Jimbo. Uh, gotta love that name. Yeah. Uh, he's probably most famous for his role as Old Jed's a Millionaire in the Beverly Hillbillies as Jed Clampett. And also a movie that we covered, I do believe Eric may have been a part of it. I don't remember. I know he wanted to be, but Breakfast at Tiffany's, where he played Doc Gollity. Uh, great movie. Uh, we also had Christine White playing Kitty Cavanaugh. Uh, she was in Magnum Force in 1973. We had Netson Booth playing Big Phil Nolan. He was in uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told. Um, it's around Easter, to- Easter time, so I thought I'd throw that in there. But he was uncredited for his role in that. You had Clancy Cooper uh, was the trucker. Uh, he was in the Wild Wild, or sorry, the Wild North in 1952. Jane Burgess uh, played Sheila. <laughs> is that the is that the uh, cigar lady or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, she was something else in this too. Uh, you had William Keane, who was the desk clerk uncredited. Uh, he's been in a lots of TV shows, including Little House on the Prairie. Uh, probably one of Eric's favorite, Mayberry RFD, and no. Lassie. I know, I know it's not as good as... <laughs> yeah, give me the thumbs down. Uh, you had Robert Reardon, who was the hotel manager. He was in The Destructors in 1968. You had Joe Scott as the crouper. Uh, he was in Peter Gunn uh, in 1958. And yes, you had the great, legendary Rod Serling as himself, uh, the narrator and the host for The Twilight Zone. All so, right. Eric, that is your little cast for Prime Mover. All right. Just for reference, Mayberry RFD, anything in color it, with the Andy Griffith show, it just goes downhill once they went to color. So RFD is like <laughs> the worst of the worst for all you Andy Griffith fans out there. Probably would uh, align with me on that. So let's give you the plot for this episode. Ace Larson owns a roadside diner. It's a dreary existence for him, his girlfriend Kitty Cavanaugh, and his friend and employee Jimbo Cobb. Through a serious accident just outside his diner, Ace learns for the first time that Jimbo has telekinetic powers. Okay, first question. Do you think Jimbo and Ace have been friends for a long time? Are they like lifelong friends? I know it doesn't really say... but so I don't know if they've been lifelong friends. I do believe that they've probably worked together for a while. Okay, I, I think that's probably... A uh, good explanation too. Otherwise, if they had been friends for a long time, and this is the first time he's becoming aware—that's Ace becoming aware—that Jimbo has his power. You know, I just don't see that happening. Um, yeah, well, 
just because Jimbo says that he's been able to do it since he was a little kid. And so anyway, just a well. yeah, but I, but I also think that um, maybe he hasn't had to use his power because it's pretty much a small town. You you, you don't really see many people uh, in this episode. You don't see many uh, much vehicular traffic or anything. So maybe it's just a, like a little roadside diner that people stop every once in a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but I will say this that that car crash um is probably the best special effect that they have done in the Twilight Zone so far. And they didn't even do it themselves. It's well, we'll get Right. That it's reused footage, right. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Um so so we've kind of come to the conclusion that that Ace and Jimbo have become co-workers and then friends through working together. So Ace the gambler sees an easy way to make his fortune. And the three of them set out for Las Vegas. Jimbo has little trouble making the roulette wall, the roulette balls fall onto the right number or making any point with a pair of dice. Ace learns the hard way, however, that there can be too much of a good thing. So the opening of the episode, we'll just go ahead and jump right in. We, we start out at the Happy Days Cafe here in the uh, episode's beginning Is minutes. that uh, Sunday, Monday, Happy Days? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's spelled D-A-Z-E. I think the, the <laughs> yeah, it's right in the opening. Uh, when we pan down, it's on the on the window. And uh, we discover our, our main character, one of our main characters, Ace, and he's talking and coaxing a slot machine. And Jimbo... I'm Which sh- is the yeah. same slot machine yeah. from one of the season ones, The Fever, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you picked up on that so ace is saying okay well i think it's about time you started paying off and he's you know getting frustrated because he's dropping the coin in and he's losing every time he pulls the handle so ace loses and he walks over to the counter and he asks kitty for a quarter so that they that he can play again basically he wants to keep playing so he's taking money out of the um cash register i guess and when he's over at the counter he makes a bet with one of the patrons uh, a trucker and Ace says to the trucker, I'll flip you double or nothing for your meal. What do you say? And so the bet is made, the coin is flipped, and the trucker calls heads. And he wins. And he says, heads, thanks. That's a lucky quarter. You mind if I <laughs> borrow it? So then, the, this is the funny part, then the trucker proceeds to take the same quarter and drop it in the slot machine, pull the handle, and hit the jackpot right after Ace yep. you know, finished. That was kind of kind of funny. So Ace is beside himself, you know, at this point, and he just, he exclaims, it ain't fair, Jimbo, it ain't fair. And then that's that's when we meet Jimbo. He's, I think he's like sweeping the counter or something, or or sweeping the floor or cleaning the counter. And uh, Kitty says she's going home. Um, and then she, you know, kind of, kind of gives this explanation well i can't you you find out that later that they're together and she says well i can't quit because you owe me three months you know <laughs> i thought that was pretty funny right. too i can't quit and so so she, do you think he's gambled do you think he's gambled away her salary i mean that would be a good explanation uh of why you know they're always they always seem to be broke and he's having fall or falling on hard times so she leaves, and her parting words to her co-workers are, good night, big-time operators. So Ace and Jimbo are <laughs> left inside the, the diner. And I kind of I kind of broke this episode down um, kind of with the scenes 
we have the Happy Days Cafe, and then we move to the outside, and we see the car crash that we just referenced earlier outside. The car skids, and it flips, and it crashes into an electrical, like, transformer thing. And that that's stock footage from a movie called Thunder Road from, like, 1957, I think. I don't know, Jimbo, you can check me on that, but... Uh, there are two people inside, which you really can't see the two people inside again because it's stock footage. So Ace frantically, you know, yells at Jimbo. He says, come on, Jimbo, come on, help me uh, lend a hand. Um, so Jimbo closes his eyes tightly and he concentrates and miraculously the car rolls over. And so Jimbo Cobb somehow moved a car with his mind. And that's what we're, the conclusion that we come to. And then Rod enters the scene and he gives his narration so then our third movement we're we're back into we're back in the back room of the happy days cafe it seems as though jimbo and ace sort of live in a back room uh of the cafe and uh ace enters and he says the doc says it'll just be a, like a few broken bones there's nothing serious to the you know re regarding the people that were in the accident and so Ace desperately wants to know how Jimbo has pulled off this amazing, you know, this this whole business of the car turning right side up. He wants it to break him down for him. He he wants to understand, like, how Jimbo was able to do that. And so Jimbo explains that the power to move things around by thinking, uh, he's, he's been able to do it. It's He doesn't think it's anything special. There's really nothing special about it. He thought everyone could do it. And Ace asks him, well, how long have you been able to do it? And he says, well, since always. He, he thought it was like breathing. He thought everybody could do it and that it wasn't a big deal. Um, so then Jimbo goes on to say that he had to give it up because he got, in he got in trouble in school a lot because of it. And he used to get awful headaches. That, and that's one key thing that whenever he performs this act, right, he always gets a really bad like migraine headache, which... Not only does he share your name, this character shares your name. He unfortunately, and shares, uh, migraines. <laughs> he shares the the migraine situation like you do. That's uh, that's nothing fun to deal with for sure. So he always gets a headache whenever uh, he performs his telekinetic powers, and shortly thereafter. So Ace, you know, he sees an opportunity. Of course, he's always opportunistic. He wants uh, Jimbo to demonstrate this again for him, and he wants to do it right now. And so Jimbo obliges, and he moves, and he uh, the first thing he does is lifts the bed with his mind. And I think I let me give you let me give you a rundown of Jimbo's kinetic powers. I'll just give them to you all up front, and then we'll work our way through. He moves the car first, obviously. He lifts the bed. He flips a quarter. He rolls the dice to whatever Ace needs him to win. He moves the phone in the episode. He uh, hits on the roulette wheel number every time. And at the end of the episode, when you think that his powers have mysteriously vanished, he, he lifts the broom at the very end of the episode. So, Anything, Jimbo? I think you mentioned something about the quarter. And Yeah, here's... First of all, let me say this. You uh, ever thought about that name, Happy Days, that uh, Ace gets happy when he wins all the money and Jimbo gets the days because of his headaches? I just thought that, that just hit me. I thought yeah. that was pretty funny. Yeah. But um, I posed this question to Eric. Um, you see him uh, lift the car, 
Mm -hmm. You see him lift the bed. You see him uh, flip a quarter. You see him move a phone. All of these things have been standing still. Yeah, stationary objects, yeah. Right. So um, you come to find out in the episode that when they go to the roulette wheel and they go to the dice throwing, that basically uh, Jimbo just basically either cocks his head a little bit or something, and it ends up going onto the number before it even lands on the table or even lands in the roulette wheel. I pose the question to Eric, as being a prime mover, um, in order to move something, does it have to be stationary? Yeah. Uh, because everything, all of his powers up to this point, it had to be standing still. Right. Even the broom at the end had to be standing still. So I, that to me kind of just, I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of it, but it just kind of really bugged me, yeah. I guess, in this episode. Well, let's get a little definition of a prime mover. And there are multiple definitions that span uh, scientific, but this is just one that I wrote down. It refers to the propulsion unit for a transportation system such as a locomotive or a train. Uh, the tractor trailer of a semi-tractor trailer, a la uh, Optimus Prime from the Transformers. Uh, the motor on a locomotive or railroad engine or the truck that tows an artillery gun. Also in philosophy, now this is where the definition sort of splinters a little bit. It is a self-caused being uh, that, ca- that is the cause of all things. So the prime mover is someone who... Uh, you know, move. I would kind of agree with. I understand what you're saying. It, he is someone who moves something through propulsion, which happens to be a stationary object, at least from what limited definition that I can give. And I understand what you're saying. He's saying part of the episode he's able to move things that are stationary, but and then other parts of the episode he's moving things that are already in motion. So I mean, we could go down that physics rabbit hole for an hour probably and end up nowhere, but. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought that was interesting that uh, that you brought that up. That you know that differential, that difference in the episode where sometimes he's moving things stationary, sometimes he's moving things that are already in motion. So um, back to our episode. Let's jump back in. And um, so once Jimbo demonstrates that he can flip the coin and that he's been able to do it since always, and he obliges and he lifts the bed and he flips the coin. Ace, a little light bulb goes off in his head, right? He's like, okay, I, I've i got an idea. So he calls up Kitty on the phone and he says, can you be ready in like 15 minutes? Like, we're, we're out of here. So he has this genius idea. And then we come to understand that his idea is they're going to go to Las Vegas. And so that sets the next scene. Uh, the scene is inside the casino. So Ace and Jimbo, the first thing that they play is they hit on the roulette wheel again. And they, they're at the roulette table for a while. And, you know, you know, Jimbo sort of like Jimbo said, Jimbo, Jimbo, <laughs> he, <laughs> he shakes his head and, and the numbers hit. And then I think from there, uh, they hit on some type of Ferris wheel type game. I'm not quite sure what that game was. And then they end up at the craps table, and then Ace is rolling seven, seven, sevens. He's winning, winning, winning. And then they come to another dice game, which I had to look this up because I had never seen it before. And the game is called Chuck-a-Luck, or it's also called Sweet Cloth. And it's a dice game of medieval origin that is related to 
Grand Hazard. I don't know what Grand Hazard is. I didn't go down that deep. It basically is played with three dice and, the lay and a layout numbered from one to six upon which the players place their bet. The banker then rolls the dice by turning over an hourglass-shaped wire cage in which they are contained. Uh, the payoffs are usually one-to-one -one on singles, two-to-one on pairs, three-to-one on triples, that uh, are appearing on the dice. For example, if a player places a bet on six and two sixes appear on the dice, the player is paid off two to one. So the game can be found in some American and European casinos and gambling houses. Uh, and it says, it goes on to say, the house edge for mathematical advantages averages around seven and a half percent. So your mathematical advantage oh. for that game, Chuckaluck, is about seven and a half percent. I had never seen that game before. Uh, I thought it was a super old game, so I had to figure out what that was. Um, so after Chuckaluck, Jimbo says, man, my head is killing me. we got to stop. Like he, He's got a super bad headache. So, right, but I think what you're what you're missing right now is it's not just one casino they've been at. They've toured oh, okay. the city at this point. So, it's, you know, you keep seeing the different casino signs and all that. So it's not that he just went to this one casino and played these games and left. They are traveling to casino, to casino, to casino. So Jimbo's been doing this trick over and over and over. We come to find out that the bigger the object, the more strength and headache he gets. But it, I guess if you do it... Uh, small ones a bunch of times it's going to equal to do something big too so that's when he gets wore out yeah so yeah they, he's been doing this probably for days and days maybe at this point you know they were going on a, a real bender so ace is or excuse me jimbo has this horrible headache and ace decides he's going to cash out and uh he goes to the front desk and cashes out and uh Ace and Jimbo and Kitty are carrying boxes filled with their cash winnings, and they also have a bellhop that's helping them carry uh, all their money. Let me ask you a question. Okay. Where, who in the right mind takes a, 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 a like a Chester drawer out and carries <laughs> their money around and wide open for any thief can do, uh, come, come steal it from them, especially in the broad daylight, even in today's, not only in Las Vegas, but even where we live. If you see me walking down the street with boxes and boxes of open-top money, uh, my life will probably be threatened. <laughs> it doesn't matter what time of day. Yeah. So I just think that was really weird. Why didn't it's a you know why didn't they put them in bags or something? You know what I mean? It's just really weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it might not be too long before our, <laughs> our cash might not be worth anything with this inflation. So we might be able to do that this in the true. near future. Um, so I think here is where we're first introduced to Sheila, the cigarette girl. And uh, uh, Ace gets a pack of smokes, and he hands her, I don't know what he hands her, maybe a hundred. Now, was this money fake money? Was it easily detectable? Like in a lot of the other episodes, it's, it's like play mo I Monopoly so. money. I couldn't really, I didn't really go back and really take a really hard look. So he meets Sheila, and I think uh, she can't change a hundred, and he says something, you don't have, who told you you had to, baby? And then he walks away, and then the <laughs> bellhop carries... Uh, helps them to their room or their the casino the suite. That guy, was, that guy was older than me and you combined. Yeah, yeah. He was an <laughs> elderly gentleman. So that's the next scene. They're in the casino suite. And again, Ace tips the uh, bellhop and smugly says, Junior, go out and buy yourself a pair of roller skates. So Jimbo, he just wants to sleep. He finds the closest bed and he wants to lay down. And he doesn't want to gamble anymore because it his conscience is bothering him, and he tells Ace it's wrong. Ace, it's cheating, and cheating's wrong. So, mm -hmm. 
Ace agrees with Jimbo, but he persuades him to gamble just one more time. And he says, all right, uh, you take it easy, rest tonight, and tomorrow we'll fracture him. So their plan is at this point, like we're, we're going to go out and hit him hard just one more day, and um, then we're going to wrap it up. But Kitty, she she doesn't agree, and she tries to persuade Ace to go home, and that he's already been very lucky. Like, you don't need any more. And Ace will have none of it, and he retorts back, by tomorrow I'll have enough dough to own the state. You'll under, you understand that? The whole state will be Aceville, USA. So <laughs> he's going... He's going for broke. And this this creates the conflict in the episode, of course, because Kitty's frustrated, and she finally leaves. And Jimbo convinces Ace to go after her because, after all, I mean, Kitty is worth more than all the money in the whole world. He's a good friend, by the way. Jimbo's a good friend because yep. he's constantly like, he's like, hey, in the beginning of the episode, he's like, hey, when are you guys going to get married? And he's like, ah, oh, I don't have any money. Like, Kitty deserves it. He's basically, Ace is making excuses why he doesn't want to marry her. And then, you know, he's greedy. She calls him on it. And they, you know, they have an argument and she leaves. And she says, I'm going back home and you can play little caesar if you want but i'm I'm going back home i'm not i'm not dealing with this so again jimbo was a good friend and he tells her go after her. you know he tells ace go after her so the scene changes in the uh they end up in the cas- the casino lobby and so after kitty leaves ace tells her he he still intends to gamble tomorrow tomorrow in the lobby, they have a separate conversation, and he's like, "I'm, I'm still going to gamble tomorrow." And then she leaves finally, and she's had enough, and she's upset. So then Sheila, the cigarette girl, reappears from an earlier encounter again at the front desk, and Ace basically hires Sheila for. I mean, she's almost like a call girl. Like he hires her right. for a date, but it's ni- 1961, yeah. right? They can't go. All right, we're gonna make her a call girl. So they're very strategic about the the language that they use, and he basically hires her for the night, and he she's gonna be his well, girlfriend, and they're gonna hit the town. Especially, especially when he asked the manager if he could rent her out for the night or whatever. Yeah. I was like, uh. yeah, that's that's next. He. he he asks the hotel manager if he can hire her as he stuffs money into his hand. And the hotel manager is like, oh, would it be all right? Why, why yes, I think it would be all right. And he's, <laughs> ba- I mean, it's basically prostitution right there in Pretty 1961 and in, in not so many words. but um, So then he asks the hotel manager, this is another key point. He's like, who's the biggest gambler in town? I want to know who the, the, the highest roller is. And the hotel manager says, Nolan, he's a guest here this week. And uh, we come to find out that this is Phil Nolan. And so Ace tells the hotel manager, he says, well, you tell Phil Nolan that Ace wants to see him. Ace Larson, that's the name. I live here. You tell him to call me tomorrow at the hotel and bring plenty of lettuce. I mean this kind of lettuce. And he holds up a big <laughs> Yeah, I thought that money. was funny, too. Yeah. So, you know, they're going he's going to try to get a game with this big high, you know, high stakes gambler, the high roller, uh, and his name is Phil Nolan. And then him and uh what's her name? They go out and hit the town, the the yeah. cigarette girl. So then the scene changes again and we're back in the hotel suite and uh Ace receives this floating phone call from Nolan. And they agree to a game, and Jimbo is very uneasy to learn that Nolan is a gangster from Chicago, and he says he's awful mean. And uh, <laughs> so Nolan shows up. I'm skipping ahead uh, quickly. I'm, 
here. Uh, he shows up. They play the high-stakes game. And Ace is beating the pants off Nolan with the help of Jimbo's kinetic powers. Uh, until Ace wants to go all in. And he says, I'm going to shoot the works. And then Jimbo mysteriously blows a fuse, as he says. And Ace loses all of his dough on one roll. He went all in. All those uh, boxes or drawers of cash. He loses it all. Nolan collects the cash, and Sheila, she enters at some point, and she discovers that she's not going to Lake Mead. They had, I guess, Ace and her had plans to go to Lake Mead, and that trip got canceled because, you know, Ace has lost all of his money. And this is what I understand. Like, this is a funny scene to me. Uh, Ace is stunned and falls back in the bed, and then Ace and Jimbo both burst into uncontrollable laughter because once... You know, Jimbo says, well, I don't know what happened. I just blew a fuse. And then after all of his money's gone, he's just like, they just both fall back and just have a big laugh over it. So I thought that was uh, kind of weird. Um, this has a lot of scenes. So I think we're back in scene seven. We're back in the Lazy Days Cafe. You know, Ace has decided he's getting rid of this old slot machine. And he proposes to Kitty. Kitty flips a coin to determine her response, and Ace calls heads, and Kitty looks at the coin, but not, notice this, Jimbo, she never reveals what came up, she just agrees, I wonder if he, if she actually flipped tails, but agreed to marry him anyway, because she just kind of holds exactly. her hand, held her hand yep. over it, so, um, and then we discover that Jimbo really didn't blow a fuse, as he picks up the broom off of the floor in the very final scene. Uh, and he does it with his... Or did he, or did he, he just got it back? Yeah, and I guess that would be one explanation, but I think he, he faked losing it just because he wanted to teach his friend Ace a lesson about greed, and, you know. So, he is the prime mover. Jimbo, any comments, questions, thought-provoking? I think it's awful funny that, that, uh, Ace Larson... He wants to be known as a high gambler, you know what I mean? He wants to be known as the talk of the town, and, you know, he makes that phone call to see who the uh, biggest gambler is. Tell him Ace is here. And he's like, Ace. A-C-E. Ace. You know, <laughs> yeah. so nobody still yeah. nobody still knows who this yeah, guy is right. even after he just cleaned out a bunch of bank accounts. So I thought that was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, um, yeah. his ego precedes him, definitely. Yeah. Um, we can move on with some trivia here uh, for this episode, and then uh, we can give our final thoughts. Uh, it says on August the 15th, uh, Serling admitted that he had just finished reading the Pride Mover and told Buck Houghton, I think Beaumont's job was an, was an excellent one, and I think the script is in nigh on to perfect shape. I hope it's been mimeoed and all is set to go. I can't think of a single criticism. In, in a letter to Charles Beaumont with the same date, Serling commented, Just finished the Prime Mover, and I have simply flipped. It's a honey of a job, and I thought, considering all of the travail that exists between you and that miserable Twilight Zone, it might be a morale booster for you to know that the, your latest effort is a real corker. Upon Serling's insistence, Houghton sent Beaumont a generous contract for this episode, Beaumont was paid $2,000 for the script and his services. Whether it was Beaumont's involvement in securing the legal rights or a secretarial error uh, or a production a production oversight was made and George Clayton Johnson's name was omitted from the credits. So he got paid 2000 bucks. Rod Serling I, apparently loved 
the episode and didn't have any criticism, but I noticed an interesting sentence in his memo. He, you, he says, considering all of the travail that exists between you and the miserable Twilight Zone, I wonder if that's why we don't see um, his uh, Beaumont, uh, why we don't see Beaumont writing any episodes in later you know, seasons of the Twilight Zone. Maybe he just was frustrated with it and decided to quit maybe after the second se- or third season. But for this episode in particular, he was paid very handsomely, 2000 bucks for, you know, that episode. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, in the opening, uh, the, uh, and Jimbo already talked about this, our Jimbo, uh, the slot machine was used by the main character. This slot machine is used in uh, The Fever in 1960, uh, which we've already covered. Um, the film clip of the car crash is from the end of thunder road 1958 we already talked about that at the top of the episode um this ep- uh, this episode aired on march 24th 1961 but the calendar on the wall in the diner is from december of 1955 um just some notes inside the episode it says dane clark and buddy epson were the only actors on the set during the two days of rehearsal. Christine White was not on the set during the rehearsals. The first day of filming consisted of the Happy Days Cafe scenes, the exterior highway uh, filmed, the the outside part that they filmed for themselves, not the car crash, and the interior of the back room where Jimbo demonstrated his mind over matter to Ace. Uh, Serling's trailer was uh, also filmed on the morning of the first day of filming. The second day of filming consisted of the casino and the various tables, the hotel lobby, and the interior of the fifth floor suite. On the third day of filming, only a few scenes were filmed in the interior of the fifth floor of the hotel suite where Ace loses everything to Nolan. So that just kind of gives you an outline of what was filmed on what days. I probably could have inserted that earlier uh, in the episode. Um, I just got a couple of goofs which I think we've already covered pretty much just basic stuff. Like you can see wires uh, when Jimbo lifts the bed. Um, At 18 minutes, you can see the money stacked on the floor has all the printing backwards, but in other shots, it's normal again. So just little goofs that we kind of see, you know, kind of consistently running throughout. But Jimbo, why don't you give me your... Any questions or observations or overall feelings, and then I'll get mine, and uh, we'll put this episode to bed. All right. Literally, because I might be dazed after I give my review. (laughs) So, to me, uh, maybe it's just because I watched it again before we recorded. Maybe it's just the day I'm having, but I did not like this episode at all. Um, I think it's probably one of the lowest ones I've ever watched. Um I don't need to see uh, Buddy Epson looking constipated or passing gas every time he has to do his trick. Um, Yes, he has a moral dilemma, but uh, to me, Buddy Epson just seemed out of place in this uh, episode. I I can't put my finger on Maybe I don't like the casting of him in it. Um, Ace was a little over the top. Um, Just just a weird episode altogether. Um, I understand what they were trying to go for, but to me... It's another comedic episode. Um, not as comedy as Dingle the Strong, but at least Dingle the Strong, you know, we knew what we was getting with that. This, I think it tried to be a drama and a comedy, and it just fell flat for me. So with that being said, out of a 10, probably giving this a 4. So that is my my rating for this episode. I didn't like it. Um, 
there wasn't really a Twilight Zone twist. If you want to say that he didn't really have the powers and he faked it to bring his friend back to Kitty, whatever. Um, my thing is, if I had that power and me and Eric were working and struggling in our jobs for that long, then maybe I wouldn't have taken so long to, hey, let's go do this and we'll stop. Um, but I would have been the one in control, not my friend that's the gambler, um, and been like, uh, here, we're set for life. We don't need to do this anymore. The power is gone. So it's just a lot of stuff that didn't make sense to me in this episode. So that's my feelings on this episode. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I just thought it was weird when he just said in that point where he just like, well, I blew a fuse and then they just laughed about it. I mean, <laughs> after he lost all that money. I, well, I understand that. I think the point about that is the other guy is laughing like, of course it is. Like, basically, that's his luck. Like, la- I mean? like laugh like, so he doesn't cry. Right. Kind of thing, yeah, right? Okay. That's what I think that is. Okay, I got a question for you. Did Jimbo secretly have a crush on Kitty because he was always, I, I, you know, there to support his friend and like and pump pump her up? I think he might have been slightly infatuated with her, maybe a little bit. And yeah, I mean, I think you can draw draw that from the episode. Um, but then again, um, if that's the case, why didn't he go after Kitty when he kicked her out and he brought that other girl in? Yeah, um, and that's where I say... He could have done that. That's where I'm saying, like, Jimbo was a really good friend because, you know, in the end, he pretended to lose his power. In my opinion, he pretended to lose his powers. He did his friend the biggest favor ever because he realized that his... Uh, well, that's my next point, but uh, let me back up to my questions and observations here. It says, very, I think very much like the last episode, Static, the main characters... Um, they didn't get much Twilight Zone redemption. It wasn't like Ace like came to his senses and was like, oh, wow, she really is important to me. I, I should stop and go after her without much in the way of expressing change. Um, you know, I guess he did get rid of the slot machine at the end, and that might be his way of kind of proving to Kitty that she's more important than gambling. So I get that. I also agree with Jimbo that there's no real Twilight Zone twist in this episode other than, he, you know, he loses his powers blah 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 allegedly and, and maybe he didn't yeah and ace loses all of his money um the moral of the story you know again is people are much more important than wealth or, or ill-gotten gain and so i think there was a pretty good moral in the story um and and i think it's interesting that these two friends they come together they have two completely different personalities so those were just things that i noticed if i had to rate it i don't I'd probably rate it uh, six or six and a half. Again, I I don't think it's terrible, but I don't think it's a upper echelon episode. Again, it's going to be really hard to you know number these episodes as we go through because there the there is a big chunk of these episodes that are just eh kind of medium, and they're going to fall right in the middle of the pack. So it's going to be hard to you know rate those all those middle-of-the-pack episodes, because there are so many of them that just kind of are in the middle. They don't really stand out. I think this episode would have been a better episode for the videotape. Yeah. And I would have liked to have seen one of the other ones that are videotaped, a regular episode. Yeah, it might have been difficult to insert that Thunder Road clip if they did a videotape, because that would look way out of place. But, yeah, yeah, I agree with the you know, the, the point that, you know, they could have probably saved money on this one, because... There wasn't a, a whole lot to it, but, you know, again, just the middle of the road. I think it's got a decent moral. I don't think that the Twilight Zone redemption was really strong with this one, but, uh, yeah, with that, I think we'll move on. Jimbo, you got any final comments? And 
Uh, no, um, next week I do believe we have another videotaped episode. I think it might be the last one. Um, it's that really creepy one with the kid talks to his dead grandma on the phone. I can't think of the... the Long distance call. Long distance, Long distance call. call, yeah. yeah. So it might be a step for, up from this, but from what I remember that, I didn't really care for that episode either. So hopefully we'll get to a good one, or we're just going to be ranking the top ten worst uh, Twilight Zones of this season. Yeah, it's going to um, get good. Like we do at the end of the year. It's going to get huh? good. It's going to get good, trust me. It's going to get good. Well, it didn't have to take me 26 episodes to get good, let me just say. To me, so far, season one's head and shoulders above this season, um, even with a few bright spots in this in this uh, season two, like Mr. Dingle the Strong. So um, I think this episode's coming close. You got anything else, Harry? Uh, if you just give me one second, I can give you the preview, I think, of next week's episode. Um... Well, if you'd like to follow us on the social medias, we are the Tragedy of Cinema podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can email us at thetragedycinema at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a review, we will read it on the air. Um, you can come see us, even ADZ, yes, ADZ, Kyle, and myself at the Boone County Jail Distillery on May 20th for our live show uh, with Hillbilly Horror Stories and those guys from Middle Aged and Creeped Out, Todd, Sean, and Nate. So hopefully you get your tickets uh, soon. Uh, you can ch- get tickets on our Facebook page, or if you can't find it on there, just shoot me a messenger on Facebook or text message. I can send you the link to buy tickets. I believe it's $25. Um, you'll be able to take pictures and everything. So, Eric, you find it? Yeah, I did. So, the trailer. Next week, Mr. Charles Beaumont and William Idelson deliver a story on your doorstep with the title Long Distance Call. It's a unique, uniquely a flesh and fantasy tale involving a small boy, a toy telephone, and the incredible faith of a child. I hope you're around next week at the usual time, which, depending on where you are, varies, and in the usual place, the one that never varies, the uncharted regions of the Twilight Zone. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. All right. Until next time, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. Some people possess talent. Others are possessed by it. When that happens, the talent becomes a curse. Jimbo Cobb knew right from the beginning. But before Ace Larson learned that simple truth, he had to take a short trip through the Twilight Zone.